Hello and welcome to the Being Well podcast. My name's Forrest Hansen. In our last episode, we completed our focus on the strength of learning, and today we're going to begin a new series of episodes focused on grit, the fourth of the 12 strengths we'll be exploring throughout this series. Today we're particularly going to focus on agency, an aspect of grit where we feel like a cause rather than an effect. Joining me, as always, is Dr. Rick Hansen. So to start us off, what did you mean by grit? It's that indestructible core that's left after everything else has been worn away. And in a person, it's this core that endures no matter how hard the world or your body sensations or your own history wears on you. And if you think of it, grit is absolutely central to any kind of sustained resilience. Could you give an example of grit, like yeah. a time when, when you exercised grit or when yeah. you saw somebody else be gritty? I know that the for, dramatic examples come to mind immediately, yeah. like times I've been in the wilderness and, and I just had to survive or endure, or I was with other people who were shivering and wet. It was raining. It was mm-hmm. horrible. It was dark. We were s- scrambling through trees. Yeah. But more than that, I'm thinking of, honestly, mm-hmm. being around my dad toward the last uh, six or so months of his life in hospital settings and watching the orderlies and the janitors and the nurses and all the people who clean the sheets and just how you could look at their faces. They were tired, long days, they had to keep standing, and yet they tapped into something inside themselves and they kept on going. Mm-hmm. So that's actually more how I think about grit, mm-hmm. that every day steadfastness and uh, durability that's easy to underestimate, frankly, especially if it shows up in the ways that it often does for women, perhaps Mm. in less glamorous, chest-thumping kind of ways, and yet it really counts. Yeah. Many of the examples that you gave there, particularly the ones that were pointed more towards wilderness, seemed to me when you sort of mentioned them as ones that were kind of physical in Mm. nature, like Mm. physical traits walking up the mountain when you're tired or whatever it might be. In this series, we're focused on kind of growing more mental traits. I'm wondering about the interplay between those two things, because out of the 12 strengths, I think that grit is the one that feels the most physical in nature. Yeah. Well, for one, definitely there's a physical basis Mm. for the mental experience of grit, and people can shore up their psychological grit Mm -hmm. by doing things like eating protein in every meal, trying to get enough sleep, and um, doing exercise and so forth to kind of build muscle mass. Those are all various ways to shore up your physical uh, characteristics, which then support the mental characteristic of grittiness. So why does it support the mental characteristic then? Uh, You have more vitality in your body. Uh, Mm -hmm. Your body is less likely to move into pain. Mm -hmm. It's less likely to get inflamed. Um, Muscle is the main metabolic factory, the muscle cells of the body. So the metabolic factory is producing more energy. It's easier to have Mm -hmm. grit if Mm -hmm. you have energy. If you're worn out or depressed or physically tired, it's hard to maintain grit. Yeah, you move towards a state where you need to start exercising a sense of grit earlier because your body's more worn down. That's right. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, Yeah, your body gives you kind of a floor, Mm -hmm. and that's good to raise that floor as much as possible. But still, on top of that floor, you need mental factors of grit. And as the floor drops, maybe you get older, or your body's in pain, or you just got to deal even if you're hungry, uh, then you need to draw more on your mental factors of grit. Mm -hmm. So in the book Resilient, you make a point about grit being 
all that's left when everything else is worn down. And you also said that kind of into the introduction of, yeah. of this episode. Mentally, when that last bit starts getting worn away, what are some things that we can do to kind of replenish that reservoir inside of ourselves? You mean how to grow grit uh, in the um, first place, or yeah, I think that we can think get about more it grit. In, yeah, I think we can think about it kind of in two ways, right? There's increasing our capacity, mm. and then there's replenishing it when the um, the fuel tank has gone towards empty. So we can get a bigger fuel tank, or we can put more gas in it. I suppose I'm kind of asking about both. Yeah. In that particular moment, I was speaking more towards filling the gas tank back up. Well, first I want to acknowledge Angela Duckworth, Professor mm -hmm. Duckworth, University of Pennsylvania, has done a lot of groundbreaking work on grit. Mm -hmm. And uh, she emphasizes the aspects of passion, purpose, and perseverance as qualities of grittiness. So we can think about ourselves, to what extent do we have perseverance and purpose and the energy, including the emotional energy of passion? It's also true that historically, uh, there's been a lot of attention to grit uh, in character as, as one of the great character virtues. I think back to my Boy Scout days, and mm -hmm. they didn't quite use the language of grit, but there was a lot of emphasis on, on grit and how important it is. Additionally, to what you're getting at, Forrest, which is so important, is the topic of how do we grow it? Can mm -hmm. we grow grit? Because the, most of the work on grit uh, treats it as sort of a given. You have X amount, and that's what it is, and it's important, and it makes a difference. All right, great. But how do you get X amount, or how do you start with X and grow grit to Y, right? How do you get more grit? Mm -hmm. So I think it's a great question that you're asking here. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about some of the factors of grit. Uh, in my mind, there are multiple factors of grit. One of the key ones is, as you said at the beginning, agency, the sense that you can be a hammer instead of a nail in mm -hmm. life. Because if you just feel like a nail, well, you don't have much grit. And um, you're not going to have any sense of initiative to grow more grit. So that sense of agency, being at cause rather than at effect, having potency of some kind, efficacy, capability of some kind, rather than powerlessness, is really important. And I think in future podcasts relating to grit, we'll talk about other aspects that a person can grow, such as determination. Mm -hmm. Well, just to talk about agency and determination super briefly, the truth is a person can develop the sense of being able to make things happen. That's agency. So now that's growing a factor of grit. I think that we can probably experience intuitively that it's important to feel, as you said, like a hammer instead of like a nail, like we're creating causes in life. But psychologically, why is that experience so important? Yeah. It has, you're getting at it for us to really deep and influential area of research mm -hmm. on the opposite of agency. Mm. Uh, in a word, helplessness. And um, <clears throat> a lot of research on helplessness has shown that, first, it's really easy to acquire a sense of helplessness and then get stuck with it, which is kind of an example of the brain's negativity bias. And in other words, uh, just one or two experiences of painful entrapment and defeat can, in effect, teach someone that it's futile. Why bother? And it takes many, many, many times uh, as many counter-experiences of being able to make something happen to unlearn that helplessness. So that's one of the big results. The second big result is that it's not just uh, a neutral event to acquire a sense of helplessness. It's actually toxic for physical health, 
and uh, especially personal well-being. Uh, that sense of helplessness tends to lead people into depression. It's a major risk factor for depression. Plus, if a person has that sense of learned helplessness, they're much less likely to take the kind of action, act, coping, or uh, adapting to situations, or just taking action to help themselves, including mm -hmm. to improve their physical health, which then creates kind of a vicious cycle. Yeah, so if you feel, and I see this a lot with clients I've worked with who, who are depressed, to become, like I said, a vicious cycle. You feel helpless. You have a sense of futility. Mm -hmm. It's not just a feeling of helplessness. It's a point of view. It's kind of a background yeah, sense. that's a great way to put it. Yeah, it's a background sense where you basically appraise the cost-benefit analysis, and you think, oh, the costs of doing something are going to be huge, and it probably won't work anyway, and they're going to shoot me down and even punish me for being strong and standing out. So why bother in the first place? Yeah, totally. And I want to be really clear. I'm not trying to be sarcastic at all. No, that's it's a very, very real experience. Yeah, it's poignant, yeah. and it's, wow, what a burden. And, you know, and I, I can relate to some of that attitude. I've had times in my life where I, I really get it. But then the problem with that is if your pilot lights out, I don't care how much fuel you pile on the put on the fire, it's just not going to ignite. Mm. So there you are, you feel kind of, what's the point? So you don't do anything, which perpetuates the crummy situation you're in, mm -hmm. which tells you more than ever what's the point, and then you feel even more helpless. So if somebody is in that state of learned helplessness, mm -hmm. as we all are in from time to time, what are the things that we can do to kind of unlearn helplessness? Yeah, great question. So... Um, one of the things in research on this mm. that has been shown is that uh, other people uh, can help us unlearn helplessness. Mm. And sometimes, honestly, it's annoying because <laughs> <laughs> sure. they're prodding us, let's say, to take action or pick up the phone or you know start taking their medicine more re regularly mm. or mm -hmm. their vitamins ask more clearly for what they want rather than hinting around. Because there's a lot of, well, this is a really important point. People can feel very um, potent in one domain in their life, let's say like work, in which they feel, yeah, I can go out and make things happen. I can mm. sell, I can mm -hmm. uh, pitch to my customers, I can write reports, I can do my job. But let's say on the other hand, with regard to their body and how much they weigh, Mm. Or with regard to their relationships and the kind of relationships they have there, they have a, you know, a slump of their shoulders or vice versa, and, and they just feel helpless there. So it's useful to appreciate that a person can, can have a strong sense of efficacy in one area but be helpless in another. One of the things that can help with that, as I said, first of all, is to appreciate the role of other people. And sometimes the very first, how can I put it, it's like 1% of you can take charge and ask for what you need, even though 99% of the rest of you feels completely overwhelmed, yeah. outgunned, outnumbered, and unable to get off the floor. But 1% of you can ask someone to give you a hand and mm -hmm. pull you up off the floor. Mm -hmm. And yeah. sometimes that's a really useful thing for a person to do. Um, the efficacy or agency of the cry for help. Another thing is to in effect, it's called generalizing from one area to another where, for example, if you have a sense of agency in your work, like you know what it feels like, or maybe uh, people have a sense of agency in their exercise routine 
or their yoga routine. So they they have it, they know what it feels like to decide to hold the pose for an extra 10 seconds, even though their stomach muscles are killing them. Or they know what it's like to pick up the phone and cold call a prospect for sales and just do that cold call after cold call every day. On the other hand, maybe in another area, like their relationships, they just feel, oh, why bother asking for what you need? Or why bother speaking from the heart? They won't listen anyway. So what a person can do is go to the domain in your life, the circle, if you, in a sense of your yeah. life, where you know what it feels like mm-hmm. to be a, someone who makes things happen. Know what it feels like there. And then imagine bringing that same stance in your body, the same attitude, the same thought processes into this other area where you feel less um, like you can make stuff happen. That's a second suggestion. And then a third one, I find it's really useful to focus on little obvious forms of agency, like choosing the salt shaker rather than the pepper shaker, Mm -hmm. or choosing to go get a glass of water if you're thirsty. And when you notice what it's like in many little undeniable moments in a day, when you notice what it's like to be that chooser, that maker, that doer, or maybe you literally push on a door, like, okay, I'm, I'm the one who's pushing that door open. Know what that feels like. And then imagine, once you know what that really feels like, bringing that way of being into areas in your life in which you don't have uh, much sense of capability. Hey, I'll, I'll offer a fourth suggestion. Martin Seligman's work and his colleagues about learned helplessness. And one of the main dimensions they focus on is pessimism versus optimism. And or realism, really. And pessimism is about a, a negative bias in terms of expectancies. And people who tend to, who have this sense of learned helplessness, or more generally, people who are depressed, tend to have a kind of pessimism. Now, sometimes it's useful to be deliberately pessimistic, and there's a term there called defensive pessimism, where people kind of do a preemptive strike on possibility so they won't be disappointed or they won't expose themselves to risks. So in advance of doing the thing or thinking about doing the thing, they just, they're pessimistic about the odds of it turning out well or the magnitude of how much it turns out well if it does in fact turn out well. That's pessimism. One of the things a person can do is to be very mindful of pessimism and then to step back and treat it a little bit like a hypothesis. Okay. Maybe. Is it actually true? Or am I um, shading the odds in a negative direction that's not rational? Now, flip the other way, a person could be optimistic, but in a problematic way. And Seligman has a term, learned optimism, and even a book about it, which is very much worth reading as a kind of antidote to learned helplessness. Me, I would prefer the term learned realism because we don't want to look at the world with either smog-colored glasses for pessimism or rose-colored glasses for optimism. We want to appraise things accurately in terms of our best guesses. So one of the things a person can do to finish about um, helplessness is to double-check your your assumptions of disaster or futility uh, and ask yourself, is that really true? And one way to do that is to look at other people. Look at other people who do what you uh, think about doing but immediately give up because you think it won't work for you. Well, if it works for them and you kind of sort of say it how they say it and 
kind of sort of follow up like they follow up. In other words, you kind of sort of do what they do. In other words, you engage the causes, as it were, more or less like they do. Well, you could probably have a pretty uh, fair expectation of similar results, especially if it's in a similar situation. And that's a way to help yourself realize, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. If they can get away with it, you know, if they can succeed at that, hopefully I can too. So those are all great ways that we can use an experience of agency to unlearn our helplessness in life. Mm. There are a lot of times in life when we don't actually have agency. Yeah, that's very profound. Yeah, and I think that it's worth acknowledging in this quest for feeling like the cue ball rather than the eight ball that there are times where you just get hit by the car. And you walk out the door at the wrong time one day and something horrible happens to you. And in those moments, it's, to a certain extent, seeing the world clearly to see and acknowledge that you don't have agency. So when those things happen, when those moments of true helplessness enter our lives, how can we respond to them effectively without letting it become the seed for a new pattern of helplessness. The first thought I have about it is that I think some people arrive at helplessness who began with omnipotent grandiosity. Mm. What I mean is, if we overestimate, in a sense, we're overly optimistic about how much power we actually have Mm -hmm. in a situation, including with other people, then if we uh, swing and miss or we try to get another person to feel a certain way about us or act a certain way and they don't, then that's feedback from the world that can build up a sense of helplessness. On the other hand, going into it, mm-hmm. if we had more realistic expectations from the get-go, mm-hmm. then if it didn't turn out, uh, the, the, the thing didn't bear fruit, yeah. the mm-hmm. other person didn't respond, well, you kind of shrug and say, well, you know, I didn't expect much anyway. So it's not informative about how much power I have over the world. It doesn't drag my sense of power down. So it's kind of funny to think about it mm-hmm. that um, being more realistic in a person's expectations about how much influence they actually have can help to prevent the acquisition of learned helplessness in the first place. Yeah, because those incidents of helplessness are less disruptive to your underlying paradigm. Is that yeah, more or less you didn't expect it to turn out that well anyway, so it's okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I suppose the obvious follow-up to that would be something to the extent of, isn't that itself kind of a version of, of being a little pessimistic about something? I mean it more realistically, Okay. right? If you're, And I was just reflecting that. Mm-hmm. It is interesting to think about people, myself included, who kind of ping-ponged. It's back and forth. They're like Mm. a pendulum swinging Mm -hmm. from overestimating your power to underestimating your power. And overestimating your power kind of sets you up for underestimating your power Mm. as a rebound. I was just saying that. The other thing to throw in is that a person can be at cause about recognizing that they are at effect. Okay. And that know, seems kind of meta. Yeah. You know, well, it, it sounds cosmic. And I, of course, said it that way. Duh, duh, duh. But I mean... But I think I understand what you're getting at, though. You know, how, do you, that, how yeah. do you understand it? No, I, I mean, I think that what you're speaking to here underlying this whole conversation is one of the things that you mentioned when you were talking about ways to unlearn helplessness. Mm-hmm. And it was the feeling of reaching for the salt shaker Yeah, as kind of the a quintessential example of that, where 
even when things are really problematic, yeah. there are often, I mean, if we're not, if we're not dead, there are things that we can do inside of our own mind to show some minor expression even of agency. Whether it's you had a horrible day and your boss yelled at you and there was nothing that you could do about your boss yeah. yelling at you and you walked out of the building and the bus was off time and you got home late and your spouse was unhappy about this and so on and so forth, you can still choose to put more salt on your food. You can still choose how you manage your reactions to that inside your own mind. You can give it up to the universe, however you want to kind of say it, and just say, hey, you know, I understand that on this day, these yeah. things happened and they really weren't my fault. I choose to give up. Yeah, it, sure. I choose to give up in a weird sort of way. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think that somebody could hear that and maybe, depending on your worldview, yeah, or, you might hear that and kind of shrug and say, yeah, well, that's kind of a cop out. But well, try like, yeah. I choose to accept. I choose to accept. Yeah. yeah. Like the cars run out of gas. Mm -hmm. And here we are on the highway. Now what do we do? Yeah, and I'm powerless to change it. And and yet I can choose my attitude about it, yeah. which is a recurring theme you know, is with us here, that even when we don't have agency about conditions, the world mm -hmm. around us or the state of our body, we can still have agency in how we relate to those conditions. Yeah. The underlying point that I think we keep returning to is something that I believe that we've mentioned in previous episodes, and it's this idea of causes and effects and tending to the causes that we can control rather than worrying about the effects that we can't control. Yeah. And once you release attachment to those results yeah. of, your, of your causes, yeah. all of a sudden you become so much less influenced by them. That's a, such a good way to put it. Um, as you know, I I have this dorky saying, water mm -hmm. the fruit tree. And <laughs> we've, we've talked about it a little. I'd, I've come around to it over time, for sure. <laughs> it's, it's good to make fun of, but it comes for me from a teaching, actually, uh, from Ajahn Chah, who's a Thai teacher no longer alive uh, in the kind of Western Vipassana lineage. And he uh, lived and taught in a very rural environment, very poor communities in Thailand, farmers. And so he would use a lot of metaphors. They were very earthy, literally. And uh, one of them was, he said, you know, if you want to get some fruit, you can go out and choose a good little tree, and then you can go choose a good spot for it and dig a good hole and water it well, put in some fertilizer. And then as the years go by, you can take good care of the tree. You can uh, protect it from the bugs. You can prune it and all the rest of that. And you can do all those things, and they're important to do, but you cannot make it give you an ample. In other words, as he put it, you can tend to the causes tending. You can tend to the causes, but you cannot control the results because so many other factors are in the mix. The hailstorm, your uh, larcenous neighbor who steals your apples, <laughs> uh, some blight plague moves in. Who knows? There's just so many factors. But what you do have control over is your own work, your own efforts. Did you water it regularly? Did you prune it regularly? Did you act wisely in, in your stewardship of the tree? And so for me, the takeaway from that has been such a relief, honestly. And it's been a way of looking at things that I draw upon so many times in which um, it, it helps me feel much more peaceful 
about the outcomes, the results, the product coming out the other end of the tube, that's good. And it's tended to focus me more on my own responsibility for the front end, for my own responsibility for tending to the causes that I can tend to. And And to me, that's agency. Yeah, that's great because that's the arena where we often have the most ability to impact our own lives. We have the most control, which means we have the most agency. Yeah, you you can say what you think to another person you're arguing with. You can say what you think and try to say it well and skillfully and not be too much of a jerk about it. And then, you know, you can't make them say the right words back to you. You can't mm. make them think the what you think are the right things. You can't. And you have to and to be able to live with that. I think there's such wisdom there that we exercise the power that we can while being radically accepting and at peace with whatever the results are. We might have preferences for what the results are, but we find a way to um, kind of like anticipatory acceptance mm. to anticipate them uh, and accept them in advance, no matter what they are. I think that metaphor is actually a great note to end on. So to give a quick summation of some of the things that we talked about today, we focused on grit and particularly inside of grit, the idea of agency, finding the spaces in your life where you have the opportunity to experience being a cause rather than an effect. We began by talking about this experience of learned helplessness, and you shared some of the work from Martin Seligman on learned helplessness and how we can unlearn helplessness. You gave four ways that we can feel agency in our lives as kind of an antidote to that helplessness. Then we got into the times in our life where we truly don't have much influence over our results and how we can tune our preferences to be more oriented towards the times where we really can control what happens as opposed to the times when we can't. As a total summation of those times, you gave the metaphor of watering the fruit tree, where we can control the causes in our life, but we can't ultimately control the results. So I think that's a great place to end this week's episode. And if you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate it if you would leave a positive review of the podcast and subscribe to it through the platform of your choice. When you do that, it really helps other people find it, and we appreciate the support. So next week, we'll be exploring another key aspect of grit that you alluded to a little bit earlier, determination. Until then, thanks for listening.